welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. We're going to pick up on Romans 8. On the way back from Mexico, um, I, I, I had the privilege of stopping for 36 hours in Houston, Houston, Texas. Uh, Cheryl and I got very good friends there that were in Toronto, um, part of the church plant there, and they moved down to Houston. And, uh, and it's just an opportunity for me to pop in on them, say hi, see how they were going. First time I've been to Houston, um, you land there, and as I've been taken to their home, that, that there's one thing that's clear about Houston, and it's this, okay? Oil. Oil, 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 oil. There's evidence of it everywhere. The refineries, like, it's kind of, it's crazy. Just, you see, these oil refineries everywhere. On that first, on the one morning I was there, we went out to a place called Galveston, and just by the coast, you looked out, and you've got these oil tankers just lined up on the horizon, literally, just waiting to bring fresh oil in. Again, went on another journey back from Galveston, and you're going through refinery after refinery. It's oil, oil, oil. You're left in no doubt what the resources and what the riches are in Houston, oil. Romans 8 is like that. Totally. You are left, as you read Romans 8, you are left in no doubt of where our resources and riches are. It's grace, 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 grace. And every, everywhere you look in Romans 8, you see grace. And as you know, we're now three weeks into this series, which we've called Living by Grace for the 2020s. And it really is to sustain us. I love that verse that Esther shared with us this morning, that we boast in our weakness. Why? Because that's the setting for the grace of God to be revealed. And actually, grace has been sufficient for every decade, every century, every millennia, and it is as we go into the 2020s. And so what we've looked at already is grace that answers our guilt. Amazing. And then we looked at grace for living. And we're going to pick up the story in Romans 8, verse 12. So we can just read that together. It'll go on the screen. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. (laughs) So this section kind of kicks off really with with a, a foundational conclusion. It's a therefore, which sums up the story so far of chapter 8. It says, therefore, we have an obligation. Brothers and sisters, we've got no obligation. Or another version, the ESV says this, we are debtors. Okay? But it's not to the flesh, and this is what Chris was talking about last week, it's not to the flesh, this bit of me that is programmed to the world and to its ways and to kind of following the ways of the world. I don't owe that anything. Just hear that for a moment. Because the flesh says the opposite. It says, satisfy me. It sets its agendas. It says, if you want real life, then satisfy me. That's what the flesh is. But Paul says very clearly here, no, we, we, we don't owe the flesh anything. That's the big deception. That's the big lie. That's how we could live in the flesh, is thinking, well, if we satisfy the flesh, we'll live happy ever after. We don't. doesn't work that way. It's the big deception. Rather, follow the spirit. In other words, follow, give yourself to the life of the spirit. Give yourself to the reality of God living in us. That's the gospel. That's what happens when we become Christians. That actually we now have the Holy Spirit living in us and we can live differently. And as we... As it was, we follow that way. That's the way of satisfaction. That's the way that brings life. That brings difference into our lives. That's the way that we're to follow. And then we go on to this section where we read the most remarkable thing that is true of us. Jim, uh, a, a Bible scholar called Jim Packer, who is so you know, helpful to read, he said this, that this is the highest blessing and privilege of the gospel, what I'm going to refer to now, the highest blessing and privilege of the gospel. So where Chris started a few weeks back was about, we're free from guilt. That's wonderful. It's gone. There's no condemnation. Dealt with once and for all. Irrespective of how we feel, gone. But that's just the foundation. There's something better. There's something more. This goes on to talk about now who we are, our identity, that we are sons. 
That is the highest blessing and privilege of the gospel. As wonderful as it is to know that sins are dealt with and, and guilt has gone and now we're made righteous. But who are we? Sons. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Son. It is a male term. And we need to do a little bit of kind of gymnastics here, particularly for the ladies. Okay? Are you ready for this? All right? Clearly, because back in verse 12, it says brothers and sisters, this is totally inclusive. We're all equal. Okay, we're all one in Christ, male and female, brothers and sisters. And yet, this actual identity definition is one of sons. And that applies to male and female. And to understand that, we need to dig into the culture of the time of Rome and the Greek culture of the time. And actually... It was with son, that sons were the ones who inherited. Daughters didn't. Sons were the ones who got the best treatment. Daughters didn't. And what we need to do is get into that way of thinking and think now brothers and sisters together were brought into the best place of relationship to the father. And ladies need to do a little bit of gymnastics on that, as men need to do gymnastics, right? That we are the bride of Christ. We have to think in that way that actually we are the bride of Christ. It's a biblical term of our identity. And so men, we have to get very comfortable with, we need to be dressed and, and God's doing a beautiful work in us so that we'll be part of the bride for him. We're sons. Critical, we see that. And it's contrasted with slaves. We are no longer slaves, but now sons. There's no greater contrast. Outside of Christ, we were in slavery. And slaves, basically, they have no freedom. In Christ, we have freedom. We're set free. We're adopted. That's what it says there. We've received a spirit of adoption. Sin alienates us. Naturally, we're all born orphans. We're separated from the Father. That's what sin does. But what Jesus has done for us is this, that he has adopted us. We're now in his family. We now belong. It's a precious thing. And that phrase, adoption, it carries a weight to it. Adoption is precious in the world now. People who adopt children who Perhaps, you know, for whatever reason, that is a precious thing. Even more so to know that we are adopted by our Father in heaven. 
He chose us. He wants us. It's legal. This is where the legality takes us to. Yeah, I've been, I'm no longer condemned. Okay, that judgment's dealt with. Now, where does it take me to? It takes me to family. I'm part of family now. I belong, and I belong forever. This is good news. This is who we really are. Sons, it means we're, we're loved by him. We're known by him. We're wanted by him. We're chosen. We belong. How do we perceive God? Someone once said that the most important thing about our lives is how we perceive God. How do we view him? Some people view him as a, a taskmaster. Some people view him as some distant being. Some people just see him as the judge. How do we view him? We can see him as father. He is our father. He doesn't want us living as cringing slaves, but secure children. That's so important for us to hear. Not cringing slaves, but secure children. It's our identity. It's who we are. It's our identity. It's our security. The second thing is that this passage speaks about intimacy. God is our Father. We're loved. We are as close to God as we can get. It doesn't come better than this. That revelation of Father is to be foundational and to shape everything about us. Again, another quote. It says, the most foundational thing in God we need to know is not some abstract quality, but the fact his father. Since God is before all things a father and not primarily creator or ruler, all of his ways are beautifully fatherly. You see, we can open the first page of the Bible and we see God speaking, God creating, wonderful. You see the power of God, the authority of God, the design of God, the everything God is. But behind that is the father heart of God. He's creating a world for his kids to enjoy. He's creating a world for his kids to have purpose in. And then his kids mess up. And so but he already has a plan since before the foundation of to send his own son to come and to die on the cross. And there, in dealing with our sin, is to then transform us so we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're now his family again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We can know him as our father. It means we're loved. He's passionate about us. He's tender with us. He's eternal in his love. I don't know what your experience of fatherhood is. I would imagine in this room there's a whole 
a whole spectrum of experience. From good to okay to not okay to awful. There'd be the whole spectrum. Listen, even the good is not perfect. Even good dads mess up, get it wrong. We have a perfect father in heaven. He loves us. He knows you. Cares for you. He's tender with you. Calls us by name. He doesn't stop being our father. We, we never run, kind of, we, we never get out of his fatherhood now. So even with the story of the prodigal son who went his own way, thought he knew what was best and all the rest of it, and messed up and he came back, who did he find waiting for him? His father. And how did his father receive him? He just shouted love on him. He gave him the ring again. He gave him the robe again. He killed the fatted calf. He said, let's party. That's father. That's what our father's like. He's a father who parties. He celebrates. He loves. He is passionate about us. We bring joy to him. Does that sound good? Okay. We've got to get this one. If not, we live with a slave mentality. There's an intimacy of his love for us, but there's an intimacy of our response to him. Because it says we cry, Abba, Father. Those words, Abba, which is you know, the, the, the word that a child would learn in that society. Abba it, it is, again, it's not just the title of Father. It's Abba. We can know him in that way. That was a shocking thing about how Jesus prayed. The disciples, they'd been used to hearing the rabbis pray, and they prayed all sorts of long and complicated things. And then Jesus came, and he spoke to God as his father. And the, and the rabbis, were, they were shocked to the core. This is blasphemous. And Jesus said, no, when you pray, pray like this. Father in heaven. Abba, Father. And we've received that same spirit. We've received the spirit of adoption. It's what happens to us. This is, how, this is the stuff that satisfies. The flesh doesn't. And when we begin to say, Abba, Father, it does something in us. I know when I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was a teenager, and I kind of had this strange relationship with God before then. It was like on, on form, I, I, both away from God, but sometimes I pray. And, and whenever I tried to pray, it was all very formal. It was through titles. And then when I was filled with the Spirit, something happened. I could say, Father. Father. Abba, Father, we cry. Kids talk freely with their, par- with their parents. Now, again, I can remember, you know, just uh, when I used to teach years back now, when I used to teach in our parents' evening, and there'd be some kids who'd be super quiet in class. And you say to the parents, well, you know, little John is a little bit quiet in class. It'd be nice to hear him express himself more. And they look at you and think, that's not the little Johnny I know. 
Kids are different with their parents. And cry, Abba, Father, we've got that freedom. And come to him with boldness, with confidence. We can come to him with intimacy. And then the third thing, so we looked at identity, we looked at intimacy. And just the third thing is that you get from these scriptures is inheritance. And I, I got home, I literally got back yesterday afternoon, and, and Cheryl had opened some of the posts, and yeah, it's the usual post you come back to, you know. But there's this one from Mr. Lee Wang. Okay, and has anyone else heard from Mr. Lee? I've got one, we've got two. Okay, okay, right, okay. Okay, so I, I got back, um, and, and basically, Mr. Lee Wang works for the Shanghai Pudong Development Bank. Okay, China. Okay. What are you laughing for? I've got the phone number here. Okay. So, anyway, he basically wrote to me, and... Anyway, it's, it, it's quite a sad story, really, to begin with, because it tells the story of Mr. Michael Bai, who was killed in tragic circumstances. So, you know, this is no laughing matter. Okay. Mr. Michael Bai, who was killed in tragic circumstances. But before his demise, he deposited the sum of 47 million, 500,000, 200, and 40 US dollars, okay, and placed under the management of Mr. Lee Wang's bank, okay. Now, Mr. Lee Wang has searched the world and he's found Mr. Roger Bai, which, which is quite amazing, really, isn't it? I've yet to reply. Uh, and, and anyway... Anyway, Mr. Lee Wang is suggesting to me that I partner with him, that I make him my kind of, um, I guess, my consultant, really, who will, he will then uh, take care of proceedings, you know, and I will end up with half that money, and half will go to Mr. Wang, and there'll be a small little 5% for any expenses incurred, you know. So basically, I've got this inheritance, Or have I? Okay. You know, the world offers all sorts of things, promise, inheritance. But this is where this term sonship is so important we get the meaning of it. It's about inheritance. Brothers and sisters, we have an inheritance. And it doesn't come from some bank, I guess, doesn't exist. And it doesn't come from someone with all sorts of names to it. This comes from heaven. And it's guaranteed by Jesus Christ. He bought it on the cross for you and I. And let's just imagine that that was real. Let's just imagine that. The inheritance we have in Christ 
exceeds that by far. It's eternity with him. But it's also being part of his purposes now. You see, inheritance starts today. Somehow, it's not that Jesus comes into our world and makes our world better, but it's Jesus rescues us from this world of the flesh, the world and all of its ways that we have no obligation to. And he brings us into a better world. He brings us into a better story. And it's the story that it began with Abraham that goes all the way through of being a blessing and being a blessing to the nations, being a blessing to others. Is God using us so we can bless others with the riches of his grace that we have in Christ. That others can benefit from the grace of God. We, we have a privilege of sharing in that. But as well, we have a privilege of sharing in that in this life but in that life which is yet to come, that's what the greatest inheritance is that we can only dream of. I, I just heard this week, I found it so helpful. It's like when Jesus died on the cross, it's like the plane, plane as in kind of level, okay? It's like, it's like the axis of history got tipped. And everything that is yet to come in Christ starts coming towards us. So we can begin to taste of the powers of the age to come. We can begin to taste. Yeah, God can use us. Even this morning, I've been praying for people and hearing God meeting with us. What is that? Well, that's a little tiny taste of the power of the age to come touching our lives now as we relate to our Father in heaven. How much more awaits us? We have an inheritance. Next week, we'll look more at this. I think Paul's preaching next week. We'll look more at this. Of what this inheritance really looks like, it's really true. So just to finish, what does it always mean? What's, it, what's the implications? Okay, I've done identity. I've, I've, done, I've done intimacy. We looked at inheritance. What does it look like? Well, the implication is this. We need to know the freedom we have. We're free. No longer slaves. It's a genuine freedom. And a bit like the condemnation deal, sometimes we don't feel free. We are free because of our identity. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm now a child of God. Live knowing we're loved. Totally, passionately, wonderfully, eternally, you name it, whatever way you want to, we are loved. Let's give ourselves to knowing him and to what pleases him. That's what we use our freedom for, is to follow his ways now. This is where obedience comes in. You see, obedience doesn't win us anything. That's all given freely. That's grace. But grace changes us so we can now live differently, so we can now live to please the Father. So how we live does matter. The choices we make, the things we give ourselves to. We're not debtors to the flesh, but we're obedient to the Father. It also means that we don't ignore 
His discipline, sometimes the Father will discipline. That's proof of his love. Sometimes we go through tough, difficult times and we can question the love of God. Would God really love me? No, listen, we're, we're his children, but we're not his spoiled kids. Okay? We're children, but not spoiled kids. He's shaping us. He's changing us. He's maturing us because he wants us to grow in the likeness of Christ. So sometimes that, he disciplines us. We find that hard. But we've been made into his image. Let's look forward to inheritance. Let's just not, let's just not live in the here and now, but let's lift our heads, see what is to come, see the big story, and that helps us now to live in the here and now with different resources. Let's share this with others. Let's share it with others. This isn't just our precious truth to tuck away. This is the good news of the gospel. This is grace. This is to change other people's lives. Do you know there are big words in the world today and they are Guess what? Identity. People search for identity. Intimacy. People are craving for intimacy. And they're looking in the wrong places. It's here. It's here. It's with our Father. Let's also know it will involve suffering. There's a, just a line that I read there. It says this, that we will, just read it to you again, it says that we're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we share in his glory. This world is not perfect. The new heaven and the new earth has yet to come. We live in the overlap. And because of that, there will be suffering, there will be struggles, there will be pain. But the Father is with us in that. And we can know these things. It's the grace of God. This chapter oozes it. There's refineries of the grace of God in this chapter. We see on the horizon there's grace out there, even more to come, even more to come, even more to come. But we can know it today. Let's pray, shall we?